Hi, I'm Parker. And I'm Bianca. Today we'll be talking to Horacio Rodriguez about the boombox benefit that will be at the UMOCA, the Utah Museum of Contemporary Art, March 10th through April 22nd. The show features Lillian Agar, Andrew Alba, Fidalis Bueller, Hazel Rodriguez Coppola, Miguel Galaz, June Lee Lodge, Vicky Lowe, Andrew Rice, Horacio Rodriguez, and Jorge Rojas. Proceeds from the sold pieces will be benefiting the Artes de Mexico in Utah, Friends of Great Salt Lake, Latino Behavioral Health Services in Salt Lake, Missing and Murdered Diné Relatives, MMDR, Peace House, The Refuge Utah, Restoring Ancestral Winds Incorporated, Salt Lake City Community Bail Fund, Our Great Salt Lake, and Utah Clean Cities Coalition. Save our Great Salt Lake. Save our Great Salt Lake. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Bidding's online only, and it's open March 10th to April 22nd via the Utah Museum of Contemporary Art, which is Umoka. So the boombox benefits, what are we talking about? Uh, We're talking about 10 different artists, including Horacio Rodriguez himself, working on a porcelain boombox canvas created by ceramic artist Horacio Rodriguez. Right, so he created 10 of them. Mm Mm-hmm. And then gave them to artists, mm-hmm. and the idea is that there's people are going to bid on them, and then half the proceeds will go to the artists, or a portion of the proceeds will go mm-hmm. to the artists, portion will go to um, these benefiting charities or organizations, not charities. Exactly. And uh, this is Horacio's first collaborative show, so it's pretty significant for him um, and the artists that are involved, and... It's going to be pretty fun. I'm really excited about the release that's happening today, March 10th at Umoka. And all From 6 to 9 p.m. 6 to 9 p.m., which Umoka is also going to have three other gallery releases. So it's going to be pretty poppin' if you want to go. Um, and also, the closing event is the one that sounds super fun as on well. On April 22nd. Mm-hmm. That's on, yeah, April 22nd. That's when. Um, you know, they're just going to have a celebration about the exhibit and hopefully finish off all the bids for each piece. Um, we're going to be there. Yes. I'm excited yeah. for that. Um, I feel like we should just let this interview play because there's stuff to talk about, but I feel like... Yeah, I, you know, this is a really good episode in the sense that it had a flow that I've been, what I really enjoy about interviewing people and doing podcasts, i love having uh just like a good conversation about yeah you were on your a game that day (laughs) um yeah so (laughs) what (laughs) what (laughs) nothing um enjoy our interview with ceramic artist Horacio rodriguez So my name is Horacio Rodriguez, and I'm an artist, an educator, and curator, and I'm based here in Salt Lake City. Um, I've been in Salt Lake City uh, since 2016, and I came in uh, through a fellowship through the University of Utah and taught in the ceramics department for a couple of years before breaking away and deciding to do art full-time, which is what I'm doing now. That's the dream. How long have you been doing art full-time? So full-time, full-time since August. Okay. So it's really new for me mm. to, I left my teaching job, teaching full time, and I'm just working now on making art, mm. doing shows, curating shows, 
and just kind of coming up with projects that are exciting to me. So, so the Boombox show that's coming up is your first curated show as like a full-time artist. Yes, but outside of like Mestizo shows that I've curated, yes, it is. Yeah, what's your role with Mika? Well, I was brought on to be the curator there, and I have been curating shows with them for a couple of years. And I'm actually the chair of the board now because we've kind of shrunk and we're have a lot of money and a lot of enthusiasm and good ideas, but we are lacking people. So I guess I could put in a plug right now. We are looking for some awesome people to come in to Mika and help. But originally I was running as a curator and I still curate shows for them, but I'm also the chair of the board now. So instead of being so hands-on, more just kind of overarching, you know, trying to to form what we do and, and push it in the right direction. And when we're talking about Mika, we mean the Mestizo Institute of Culture and Arts. Yes, so. exactly. I always forget to expand on the acronyms <laughs> during the episodes because I'm just like, not everyone knows. I know, and for the most part, we call it Mestizo or we call it Mika. You know, we, mm-hmm. we short it because it is kind of a long name. And you just got back from a trip in Mexico with Proactus, right? That's and, correct. Yeah. yeah. So expand a little bit on how that went, what the purpose of that, show, that trip was. So basically, um, we went with Proactus Mexico and we were taken to uh, the art fairs. It was Art Week in Mexico City and we went to three of the art fairs, Zona Maco, uh, Zona Acme, and... <laughs> I'm forget. I'm, I'm going to forget the last name, the last one. Um, but basically, Peter lived in Mexico City for a couple of years and really has deep connections in the city, and was able to get us some behind-the-scenes tours of the different museums um, that are there, like the Humex Museum and artist studio visits, along with going to three of the different art fairs. So it was just kind of like an art immersion week, and it was pretty awesome. It was a group of artists and curators and kind of arts professionals that work in museums that went, and there was 12 of us. And over that week, we saw a lot of amazing art and really connected and bonded with each other. It was a great experience. I'm really excited because we are interviewing Peter Hay next for this show, and we're going to be able to really dive into what that trip was yes. and what Proactus does in general. Exactly. So excited that we're having that tie-in from this episode into the next one. So going back to how you have been doing art full-time since August, that's not even a year yet. How are you feeling? I feel like a lot of people want to get to this point. And with this show, what we're trying to do is create a path for a lot of interested people in the arts, but also people who want to become full-time artists themselves and inspire them to take the steps to do that. How are How is your journey going with that? To be honest, the journey has been great. You know, it was a little bit stressful to leave like a full-time job with benefits, jump right in, but... I feel like when you take risks, sometimes the universe just kind of opens up for you. And, you know, as, as scary as it has been, things have really worked out and have been awesome. I've had a lot of opportunities come my way. I had a show last year at the UMFA and the show ended in last November and they decided to buy four of their pieces for their permanent collection. Wow. So that was a really big, like... Yeah. Thumbs up for, you know, doing, taking the risk that I did to kind of leave my job and 
I also recently got a fellowship from the Craft Center in North Carolina. So these opportunities have just been coming my way and have been incredible and have been able to fund me being in the studio full time and mm-hmm. and doing that. It's been great. I'm curious what drew you to Utah in 2016. Well, honestly, I was, I had just finished my MFA at Montana State University in 2016, and I wasn't sure really what I was going to do. It was it was probably May, and application season was over, so I was going to hang out in Bozeman. But this opportunity came up at the University of Utah. They had a fellowship. Uh, it was called the Morales Fellowship, and basically they provided uh, the recipient of the fellowship a studio space, and it was a teaching fellowship, so you would also teach two classes per semester. Mm-hmm. Um, so I taught two classes per semester in the ceramics department, and was given a studio at the University of Utah and research funding. And it really kind of set me on my path here to mm. do what I do now. It was a great opportunity for me. Um, I met a lot of great people and just started to show my work in town and get traction. And yeah, I can look back to that as being a really defining moment in, in my art career for sure. Was it a conscious decision to stay in Utah after that? <laughs> well, not being from Utah, you hear stories about Utah. So, <laughs> and I tell people this, that honestly, I thought, okay, I'm going to come. I'm going to do this fellowship. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, get everything I can out of the experience, and then I'm going to move on. But it became apparent pretty quick that I really liked Utah. I fell in love with it. I love just having the access to like nature and just the different kinds of like, you know, you go down to Southern Utah, you have the red rock, you know, outside of Salt Lake, you have like Alpine forest. So it's really beautiful. Besides that, the art community, I felt really embraced me. I got a a residency at the Utah Museum of Contemporary Arts and, you know, I ended up getting the show at the UMFA and it just seemed like there was a lot of opportunity here. And The art community is small, but I feel like it's growing and it's doing some exciting things. And there was there's enough room for people to thrive here. You know, the other thing is, is Salt Lake City is a good sized city. I grew up in Houston, which is Mm -hmm. one of the largest cities in the United States. So I was a city boy and I love the city. I love access to museums and culture and food. And when I lived in Bozeman, Montana, it was beautiful. (laughs) But there just wasn't a lot of culture. You had to leave Montana or leave Bozeman, you know, if you wanted to go to a good museum or if you wanted to have some good Thai food or if you wanted to, you know, experience some of the things that the big city has. So Salt Lake is a good size for me because it has a lot of diversity. And I was actually surprised by how much diversity is here. There's a, you know, you can get almost any kind of cuisine you want. There's a really good Cuban restaurant that just opened up. I like that, and I also like the access to nature, and the art community here is pretty awesome. I feel like Utah is charming in that way, where you do get a good sample size of like anything that you would want to have. If you want to try out some nature, you can have some nature. If you yeah. want to try out, like you know, the, living in a city, you can do that without the commitment of like a large city or yeah. being in a rural area. Exactly, and I've lived in both. Like I lived in Los Angeles. I also lived in Laramie, Wyoming. You know, so I kind of know they both have like their pluses and minuses, but I feel like this is a good home base, Salt Lake, for sure. 
I feel like what I know about your work and in coverage that we've done before is that it's oftentimes centered in, in ceramics. Is that the only medium you use, the only discipline? No, I mean, ceramics is definitely my passion, but I also had quite lately have been doing a lot of installation. So my last show at the Utah Museum of Fine Arts had photography, it had video, it had ceramics, it had found objects from the border, it had, mm-hmm. you know, all of these different things that I pulled together to make this environment. Did you have a specific reason why you chose ceramics for the Boombox show as the canvas? Well, sure. I mean, ceramics, is, like <laughs> I said, ceramics is my love. And I originally played around with this form when I was in grad school. And I think I did a lot of different things in grad school because they, you know, encourage you to experiment. And a lot of these, I kind of put like an earmark in, like, I'm going to come back to this at some point. Two years ago, I was in Jamaica with one of my close friends from Houston. He was teaching art in Jamaica. And we were sitting on the beach and we were talking about Jamaican sound systems and, and culture. And and the boombox came up and he was like, you should do a boombox show, you know, with these boomboxes. I was like, yes, I should. I should do a boombox show, but I should do a collaborative show where I pull in other artists. And so the idea of doing this kind of collaborative show was born back then, and it took a while to get some funding and just to kind of get all my ducks in a row, but I ultimately decided that I wanted to do a collaborative show with these other exciting artists here in Salt Lake, And on top of that, I wanted to raise money for organizations, social justice-minded organizations in town. So I kind of thought to put all of that together. So now you have, you know, you're you're doing this full-time. You have the idea that you've been sitting on for a while and you have the opportunity to do this. Now it's time for you to choose which artists you want to participate. What was that process like? Um, That was the fun part. Honestly, (laughs) I mean, a lot of the artists that I'm working with, I worked with, I've worked with in the past, either through uh, Mestizo, or I co-curated a show in 2019. And that's when I met a lot of these artists like Miguel and Andrew Alba and um, Fidalis Bueller. Um, So I, I liked and respected their work. Um, and I, and I wanted to challenge them to work in, because most of them are painters. So they're used to working on these flat 2d surfaces. I wanted to collaborate with them and challenge them to work on a three dimensional form, um, which was, which is the boom box. Outside of the boom box, just being an awesome shape <laughs> and very interesting, um, as far as the texture of like the, the part of the speaker the and the buttons and everything, what is the symbolism behind the boombox for you? Well, this boombox is actually pretty meaningful to me. This is a boombox I got as a Christmas present when I was in fifth grade. Wow. So, wow. yeah, I've actually cast that boombox, um, which is pretty cool, you know, kind of bringing that back to life. But apart from that, when you think about the boomboxes, I grew up, my young childhood was in the 80s. And at that time, rap and hip hop was just coming onto the scene and blowing up. And boomboxes were a big part of the scene, you know, with breakdancing and and they were these portable devices that would project sound that people would take and carry with them and could entertain and, and could inform and engage and do all these things with. So I thought the boombox is a, 
incredible object amplify the message of you know what these organizations are doing that we're going to raise money for and amplify the message of the artists you know that are participating in this event so just seemed like it a, a natural fit so yeah, you perfect you cast the actual boombox oh my god what was that like <laughs> this is honestly this is the hardest mold that i've ever had to work with hmm. so i have a mold for each separate button on the boombox oh. because you can't just cast the whole thing. So I have molds for all of the buttons, the volume and the play and all of those buttons. Um, I have a separate mold for the handle and then I have a separate mold for the body. So I have to cast all of these pieces and I cast them in porcelain and then I have to put them together. Um, you did it 10 times. Well, no. I did it at least 20. Oh, for wow. sure. Yeah. The failure rate on these has been really high because <laughs> the handle is very thin and delicate. Mm-hmm. And I had to figure out how to get that handle to stay up and not, you know, bow and bend in firing. So from making the mold to actually like learning to cast the boom boxes, I, I think that it's really has pushed me. Like almost to my limits of being able to like you know construct and make these boom boxes. So you've had this huge, delicate and uh, tumultuous process of casting these porcelain boom boxes, and then you hand them off. I know it's scary. <laughs> Each time I handed one off, I was just like, oh man. Because I swear, before the boomboxes are fired, if you look at the handle wrong, it just would fall over. (laughs) So, knock on wood, things have gone very smoothly with the handoff and with the people working. With me just being like, look, this handle is going to break if you don't treat it like a baby, Mm -hmm. you know, so... Um, so far, so good. The boom boxes are still out with the artist, you know, and I know one or two of them have finished and I've seen some finished products. But for the most part, I don't know what all the boom boxes are going to look like. And I'm not really going to know until I pick them up March 5th. Yeah. When is the show and everything? March 10th. Yeah. March 10th. Yeah. So I'm going to pick them up March 5th. I'm going to deliver them to Umoka and they will be installed that week uh, with the opening being March 10th. Wow. And so what were the rules that you handed off to these artists where you like, you can only paint or can they, you know, do some more additions, 3D additions to it? Did you give them parameters? I mean, I didn't want to micromanage their process. You know, I, I gave everybody the same form. And in my mind, these forms that I work with are almost like blank canvases. So I handed each artist a white porcelain glazed boombox and most of them are painters um i do have a ceramic artist who's who's doing different techniques but for the most part i knew that they were going to be painting either using acrylic or oil paint on the pieces i respected and trusted their work enough to know that you know the they're going to do a stellar job so i'm not worried about that I I wanted to be there and collaborate, but I also didn't want to be like too heavy-handed and kind of dominate, you know, what their process and thinking was. I left it up to each of the individual artists to pick which organization they wanted to create this boombox, sell, and ultimately raise money for. Right. So half of the funds for the you know that are coming from the bids 
uh, for these boom boxes are going to the organization and half are going to the artist. So half of the funds are going directly to the organizations and then the other half, half is going to me and half is going to the artist who created the boom box. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So try to, to make it so everybody was you know, paid. The artists are paid for their work and their time. And you can pay for the can- the materials and that you have. Yes, I have a lot of investment in the process too. And also giving, you know, half of it away to each of the different organizations yeah. um, was really important. What are some organizations that stand out to you that are going to be donated? Um, the Missing Murdered Indigenous is, is represented. Ancestral Winds. The Bail Fund. There's the one that I'm actually working towards. And I'm so bad with names. I apologize, <laughs> but it is a it is an organization that comes up with bail money for people who can't afford it, who you know have been put in for really petty stuff to help get them out on bail. There are two artists doing the Great Salt Lake. Or there's two uh, Salt Lake organizations. Yeah, so two of them are focusing on environmental, and then two of them are focusing on women's shelter. There's a women's shelter in Park City, and there's also a women's shelter in Utah County um, that two of the artists are raising money for. So most of these organizations, they're, all of them are nonprofit. Most of them are really social justice-minded, really you know trying to help. There's one with a Latino mental health resource. Each of the artists picked organizations that are important to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and are meaningful to them that they want to, you know, elevate their message. Yeah, the Latino um, mental health resources one stood out to me because it's just mental health is so stigmatized within the culture. Completely, and then imagine being here and not speaking English and having, you know, mental health issues and, and needs and, and care that you need and you can't communicate, you yeah. know, with people. I mean, so... Yeah. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's. I love the boombox. I think it's like a perfect metaphor, like you were saying. I think it's interesting to hear you talk about letting, not micromanaging their process or their creativity, because I mean, what you've done, like you said, is you kind of put a lot of heart and soul into these canvases for other people to then take and just do what they want with them. I think that's such an interesting idea of creating a foundation for others to then build off of. Yeah, and I I think that, I don't know, I haven't done too many collaborative projects yet, but I think as I move along here in my art career, I realize that I've always liked hybrid things, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my favorite bands of all time is Bad Brains. Why? Because Mm -hmm. they mixed hardcore punk rock with reggae, two things that you never would have ever thought could come together and sound incredible. And then, so that's why I kind of like these hybrid relationships, you know, I'm a ceramic artist and I'm making this 3D object and I'm handing it off to a 2D painter, you know, to do their, what they, what they do. And I feel like the combination, this kind of unlikely combination of coming together is just going to create some really incredible art it's a really good like i said foundation and i think it also shows a lot of trust in the artists too definitely and like i said i have worked with most of these artists in the past personally and i know their work ethic and i i respect their work and i i had really high confidence that they were going to take these objects and make them much better I think even the structure of it being, you know, you think of a boombox, you think of this clunky thing that you're just throwing around, <laughs> but then that being a porcelain delicate object is uh, that 
combination itself is fun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I just have a question about that process because I just out of curiosity. So you fire it and then you hand it off. They paint it. Do they, do you glaze it? Like, how does that? So for the most part, uh, for most of the artists who were painting directly on them, I glazed it and gave them a glazed boombox. Mm -hmm. So once they put the acrylic or oil paint on it, it cannot, it can't go back in the kiln. So their surface would be, you know, wiped out. So with the one ceramic artist that I'm working with, she's doing a more uh, traditional ceramic technique of painting with underglaze, and then she'll put a a final clear glaze on there. Okay. Um, And then one of the other artists, we're doing some airbrush work on it, and then I'm glazing it and then giving it to her. But yeah, for the most part, they're getting just this white porcelain boombox. And so... They're painting over something that's already glazed. Would acrylic or oil, how does that stay on? Well, we had definitely had to do some testing and figure okay. out, you know, how's this going to work. But what we've basically figured out is they're going to put the paint on there and then we're going to have to do like a spray um, fixative on top of that uh, glossy or matte fixative that'll go on top of that and seal that top layer of paint. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I was just like, because in my own brain, I'm just like, how's this, how's the order of operations? I mean, we didn't know how it was going to work. We had to test. So I started out, I I gave each of the artists a test tile um, that was the front part of the boombox that they could use to experiment with to kind of troubleshoot and get everything, you know, figured out before they like got the the actual boombox. You said it's the most complicated thing you've had to cast. Are there any other objects you think would be fun to cast that would be a huge challenge that you're now kind of willing to take on after doing this? Because didn't you do like a ceramic pistol too? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So the Bad Ombre pistols yeah. have actually, they've been, it's been the biggest seller out of the gallery in Park City have been those Bad Ombre pistols. Um, mm-hmm. So I've done all kinds of kind of pop culture objects you know i did a pistol i've done designer molotov cocktails Mm -hmm. like louis vuitton molotov cocktails but in terms of casting these past couple of years i've been working with the umfa's mesoamerican collection and they let me 3d scan parts of their seven objects from their mesoamerican collection Mm -hmm. and that those 3d scans were then 3D printed, and then from those 3D prints, I made molds, and then I slip cast those and did traditional like ceramic techniques. And those objects kind of made up the bulk of my show at the UMFA. So I enjoy like using this kind of like cutting edge technology, like 3D scanning and printing, along with these kind of old, you know, ceramic techniques like mold making and slip casting. So I don't know what's next. I can't wait. I can't <laughs> wait to figure it out. It's 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 crazy. Actually, this month March is going to be crazy. I have um, I'm going to be in a group show at the Scottsdale Museum of Contemporary Arts, and that mm-hmm. opens on March 3rd. And then I'll have this show, which will open on March 10th. Pretty been pretty busy. But I'm, it's good. It's awesome. It's incredible. <laughs> I'm so glad to be it's busy. The dream. Yeah. Yeah. People keep saying that. Yeah, you live in the dream. And I'll tell you this. Yes. I'm living the dream. 
But I will also say that I am now working more hours per week. Mm-hmm. I work seven days a week. I work more hours per week than I did when I had a teaching job. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel it, you know, because I'm doing, for the most part, things that I have picked to do, things that I love, things that I enjoy. So it almost doesn't feel like work, but I'm definitely working more than I did when I had a job. Yeah, because, well, you're spending your time doing the thing that you're like, oh, I kind of want to go home to, so I can work on that thing when you're at work, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, so I would imagine it feels amazing and very fulfilling. It is, yeah. And and having built the studio um, at my house in the in the backyard a couple of years ago, it's nice because I can be at home. And I have I have young kids. I can take them to school. I can pick them up from school, and I can participate in their lives and still work a lot, you know. But I'm home, you know. If they need anything, I'm home. So that's been that's been awesome. Well, I definitely would love for people to come out to the opening on March 10th of the Boombox Show. Um, there's going to also be two other openings at Umoka that night. There's going to be. Uh, giant you know their big show opening downstairs um and the show's gonna run for six weeks and during those six weeks we're gonna be auctioning off those boom boxes it's gonna be an online auction so um the night that the show opens on march 10th the auction will open and then it's gonna close on april 22nd and the plan is to have a closing party end of auction um, at Umoka, we're going to have a DJ and break dancers and kind of go with that boombox theme and end the auction, hopefully on a really positive note, having raised a lot of money for these organizations. Are you going to bring the original boombox and put it on like a pedestal? <laughs> <laughs> so I do have the original boombox. It's in my studio, but in the process of making the mold of the boombox, I had to deconstruct it. So mm-hmm. I had to take my childhood boombox and tear it up a little bit so it's in pieces so no i'm not going to be bringing that with me how do you feel about that i mean i think that's kind of beautiful the idea of like disassembling this thing so that you can reassemble it in a way that's like reproducible for other people to then work on definitely and i think that you know i'm not i don't have like i'm not sad that i had to to kind of like sacrifice the object because like you said, I was able to like make a mold of it and I can now reproduce this object over and over. I still have my tape collection, but it's getting harder and harder to find, you know, places to be able to play my tapes. (laughs) So, Yeah. I, what I, when I think of that, of you taking this apart and no longer being able to use it and letting go, when I think of that, I think of, you know, you're kind of letting it free and it's able to express itself. I don't know. I get attached to objects, so I understand the attachment to your boombox. Um, so you're just giving that. I feel years. like I'm giving it new life yeah. in a way. Yeah. You know, I'm definitely, it's being repurposed for something that's meaningful. And apart from the show, I'm going to continue to work with this form because I love this form and I feel like there's a lot yet that I can do with it. You the know, form as personal art casting objects or the blue box in particular. Okay. The, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely yeah. want to. Uh, my gallery has definitely been requesting some boom boxes. Mm-hmm. I've had to put them off and say no. I'm going to do this show first, but I definitely uh, want to continue to work with the form. So you have ideas for that form? Do you want to oh, share yeah. some? 
Well, <laughs> are they surprises? <laughs> yeah, there'll be surprises in okay. the future. I will have a boombox in this show. Good. March 10th. <laughs> March 10th. March 10th. That's right. Um, cool. Well, and April 22nd. April 22nd will be the closing reception, yes. And I hope that the, the planning for that is still in the works. But like I said, I want it to be a celebration with the organizations there, with the artists there, and hopefully ending on a really positive note of having raised money for the artists and the organizations. For everybody listening, how can they find you? How can they keep in touch with you? Pretty easy. My Instagram is at hello Horacio, and my website is HelloHoracio.com. Well, Horacio, thank you for meeting with us, and we're so happy you, you joined us today on this episode. Thank you. That was our interview with Odacio Rodriguez. I felt like that was a really good conversation. I'm really glad that we were able to talk to him about the show before it happened. Yeah. And I actually got to see the gallery today before the release. A sneak peek. A sneak peek. It was really cool to see all of the boomboxes. They were on the ground. They weren't hung up yet. They were in the process of being hung up. Oh, they're being hung? Yeah. Hanged? Yeah, yeah, hung on the walls. Um everybody's is so different and I feel like that's such an obvious thing to say but honestly when thinking about this project and the shape of the object and the medium I feel like I would fall into to do the obvious thing which is like paint the speaker and paint the handle a different color and paint you know the body as though it's a boombox yeah exactly and so everyone really took um, um, interesting creative directions in doing their own pieces. And I got to see Miguel Galas, too. I got to meet him from our last interview, who happened to be there. So um, With Roots Art Collective. With Roots Art Collective. So that was really fun. I enjoyed, yeah, being able to get that sneak peek. So if you are able to go to the show tomorrow. Today. Today. That would be today. <laughs> um. I highly recommend it. It's at Umoka. It is, I believe, an $8 do- suggested donation to enter. And it all goes to a great cause. So, and if you're Many great causes. Many great causes. Ten of them. Yeah, so we just came back from a trip to Chicago. And, you know, we didn't do a ton of art-focused stuff, but we did spend a lot of time just going around the city and walking and, you know, going to the Bean and uh, the Art Institute all the typical tourist stuff. <clears throat> but what stood out to me after hearing our listening back to our conversation with Horacio is that he was talking about how, like, I asked him what drew him to Utah. And he was like, well, you know, I really only intended to stay here for a little bit. But he said that he felt like it was a really, there was a lot of opportunity for growth um, and a lot of good artist opportunities. Like, it's a good-sized city. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting to hear off the heels of us having been in Chicago. Like, when we recorded that conversation... We um, hadn't done our trip yet, so now we've been to Chicago. You know, I don't know. Our general vibe was that, like, it's a great city. It's so nice to be in, like, a bigger city and to feel like pool of conversation is larger. Like, it's it's something we talk about a lot is that Salt Lake, um, there's a lot of big fishes in a smaller pond. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chicago doesn't feel that way. It's huge. Um, But I guess I hadn't really considered... You know, I was thinking about that from the person who's consuming art um, from that perspective. And I think it's interesting to think about it from a 
person who's making art's perspective, uh, because he was like that sort of the size of Salt Lake and the um, sort of way that you don't get lost in the city, that you can really be sort of like someone who's engaged in the community and have that sense of community felt really vibrant to him. Um, And I don't doubt that it's not that it's, you know, that isn't true in other places, but it just stood out to me after having had that trip. Yeah, one thing I really enjoyed about being out there, too, was I pointed out to you a lot about, like, this is the street art, this is the public art that I'm used to. For example, specifically in Pilsen, it's a very heavily Latinx community, and a lot of the art was done by Latinx people who inhabit the neighborhood. You can see the years in history of those paintings and murals that are all over the place uh, being layered and on top of each other telling a story and that's kind of the murals that I grew up with in Southern California as opposed to in the last episode I was talking about how I feel like sometimes people say that murals are a product of gentrification when I think Mm -hmm. uh, murals are just again a victim to them because they've existed and they've been there and it's just like another thing that's being claimed by the process of gentrification. Um, so it was really nice to be able to point that out yeah. and for, to show you what I meant by that. Yeah, I think that's definitely something that comes with city size. Um, coming back to Salt Lake, I was like, this city is so small. <laughs> like, the walk that we took earlier today, which is kind of on the upper avenues, you can just see all of Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, Chicago, there's not really, like, a place for you. I mean, I guess you could get on a skyscraper and look at it all, but it's still, it's huge. So there's just, like, more real estate that, you know, exists that no one's going to be, like, mad if something is painted on there. Whereas when just you have, like, a smaller size, things stick out more. So it has its benefits and minuses. I think it's really easy to get bogged down. And at least for me, it can be easy to get bogged down and feeling like, oh, man, we're we're so small and that's a bad thing. But I don't think it is for other people, obviously. Like, Horacio seems to like it. I Another thing that I found... Um, that surprised me about our trip is that we did go to an art show yeah. um, and it was a multi-artist art show and it was very, it felt very, you know, obviously foreign because we didn't know anyone. It was really interesting to be in a kind of art show environment where there was no chance we would know anybody there. <laughs> Which felt really good, but also um, I, I was kind of pointing out while we were there that it I felt like I could point out characters there that mirror characters here. <laughs> so so the experience of being at that art show felt foreign, but also very familiar. Yeah. Like, I, I was like, oh, well, that's obviously the curator who's smooshing everybody or smoozing. How do you say that? Smooze, schmooze, schmoozing. Schmooze. Or, you know, just maybe the person who was in charge of the art show or something like that. Like, everybody had their role, and it was pretty obvious coming to it as an outsider, which was entertaining. Um, Not in a negative way. It was just fun to be able to not be seen or heard and just be, like, this fly on the wall, as Mm -hmm. opposed to when we're going to art shows here, it's definitely uh, saturated with conversation with everybody and, and the artists and everybody. Cause, yeah. Cause we're, we I know mean, those, everyone. those people there probably knew a lot of each other, but mm-hmm. yeah, just like the, when the size changes, I think the experience changes, even though there were like corollaries in terms of roles, 
Yeah, it's just interesting to think about the differences. Yeah. Another thing I think is interesting is just the choice of boom boxes themselves. It feels like such a powerful object. You know, he talked about it being like a signal of amplification and of the time in his life when he grew up, which was in the 80s. I, I love that he created a canvas out of something that was really meaningful to him. It's kind of made me start to think about like, what other objects in our life, what objects are meaningful to us and have that sort of yeah. similar relationship. Yeah, I have a question for you. If you got to choose an object that you were going to give to 10 different artists, what would it be? That's a really good question. It would probably be like a Game Boy, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Like, especially if I'm right. if I'm thinking of an object that serves a similar function for what Horacio was doing, it's like, yeah, that was the thing that I took on trips that was like my little um, escape from reality and like... Yeah, that was my childhood. <laughs> was sitting in the back seat of a car and so and playing, you know, Golden Sun. So I have so many memories associated with that thing. Yeah. What about for you? Uh, I think it would be a bed. I <laughs> live in my bed, but so much happens in bed. You know, like <laughs> I eat in my bed and watch TV in my bed, and you should do a show about beds in my bed <laughs> and make fights in my bed. You know, like so much happens in beds. <laughs> I I do my I like, homework in bed. Uh, yeah. I work in bed, write in bed. <coughs> what don't I do in bed? Um I don't know. <laughs> See, there's no answer to that question. Cook. Happened. You don't cook in bed. I don't, but I do eat but in if, bed. But yeah, but you could if you would. Like I, you, you do everything <laughs> in your bed if you could. Probably good that you do have to get out of bed sometimes. Yeah, it is good. <laughs> um I like the idea of trying to cast a bed. A ceramic bed. We should that see if he's so up to the cool. challenge. Yeah, should we just be like, listen, we've got this idea. <laughs> we've got your next big show. Yeah, it's going to be this, be my bed. Oh, and it's funny, because my bed broke down today, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird that you would mention that. Uh, oh. The last thing I thought was great was just, like, the collaboration of this show. I think... Um, like, a comment I feel like I make in our critical discussions a lot is, like, if I were an artist... This is one of those things where, like, if I were an artist, I would love to emulate this idea and try and find some way to, like, create a base for others to work off of. I think that's a great format. No, I think that's brilliant, especially for a collaborative show, and it's it's so personal. Okay, I have another question. What would you paint on your boombox if you got a boombox? Sonic fan art. (laughs) (laughs) Would you draw Sonic with boobs? No, (laughs) I would not. Not that one. Um, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of things that are, um, you know, events my childhood. Um, yeah, it's because you see it as a childhood object, you know. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, it's hard to say because I'm not a visual artist person, so I would probably just, like, doodle on it endlessly if I were not drawing furry fan art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I would do one of two things. I would make it a disco ball. Oh, you love disco. Yeah, I do love disco. Or go the joke route and... As if you have any other route. Yeah, that's true. Um, And paint John Cusack holding up a boombox. On a boombox? Say anything on a boombox. Which, you know, low-hanging fruit, but damn, damn if it doesn't taste sweet. (laughs) (laughs) We should start a new podcast called Low-Hanging Fruit. And what would the episodes be? I don't know. 
Okay. Whatever. The, the easiest thing is the, that thing. Yeah, the, the thing that takes the minimal, the path of least resistance. Yeah. Let's. Yeah, we could record in bed. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Nice. We we should record the podcast. We should do all our interviews in bed <laughs> with the interview. Someone already did. That. Joan Rivers already did that. That was like a fucking oh, get in bed with Joan Rivers. Yeah. With Joan Rivers. I forgot about that. Dang. Well, that just means we independent. She's both, dead now, so we can. There's a hole. <laughs> yeah. There's a Joan Rivers shaped hole in the bed. <laughs> and we both came to that idea independently, which means I'm as smart as Joan Rivers. Oh yeah, you heard it here first. <laughs> She's you know R.I.P. But you can still. Shame her, I guess. <laughs> I'm not trying to shame her. Should I be shaming her? Uh, no, she's very cool. Her okay. story's crazy. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, so... What's our next episode? It's with Peter Hay from Proartis, Utah, who also was at Yamoka today when I took a, took a visit there. We will be interviewing him about what Proartis does, along with their museum trip, that their art visiting trip that they took to Mexico. It's an annual trip. That Horacio was a, por- a part of. Yeah, Horacio was a part of. I unfortunately was in- unable to go because because of the Chicago trip. Because Chicago. But um, hopefully next year I hope to go and uh, I just want to know about what Peter Hayes all about. What he's all about. What that fool is about. <laughs> just kidding. He's very nice. <laughs> um, so don't be threatened. As, I, this has not gotcha journalism, if anything. No. Um, not yet. Not yet. Uh, thank you so much for listening to our fourth episode. Episode four. Episode four of Local Motive. I am your host, Bianca Velasquez. I'm Parker Mortensen. And you can catch us on everything at Local Motive. And LocalMotivePodcast.com. Oh, yeah. At LocalMotivePodcast. Sorry. I said that wrong. Um, so what's the email? LocomotiveSLC at gmail.com. Send us your questions. Yeah, and send us ideas. Uh, we've run out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's not true. Uh, <laughs> no, send us your ideas. We, we'd love to explore new things to talk about and people to interview. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.